0: Alright, welcome to episode 13 of the Language of My Soul podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about my daydreams, dreams, and analysing what they mean. So without further ado, let's begin. Does anyone else tend to daydream a lot? When I'm not thinking, imagining hypothetical questions or conversations where I dish out my knowledge, figuring things out, I tend to daydream. Freud and Jung had two things to say about dreams they can either be unfulfilled wishes or our subconscious speaking. This analysis doesn't always stand, but but from time to time, it is correct. I wonder if this is strange. When I think about a topic, or if someone else has talked about something interesting, whether it's online or in real life, I tend to daydream about me in that position. For instance, I imagine myself being interviewed by Joe Rogan. Recently, I met up with a couple of my friends, And later I daydreamed that I was talking to them. The only difference is that they weren't there to respond or challenge my ideas. Instead, just there to listen. In the absence of this, I tend to talk to myself as if I'm an external listener. I suppose I use other people as an audience because talking to myself is perceived as crazy. Honestly, you must be a bit crazy to survive in this world. Except, except... Why don't I just talk about these ideas to others? Well, most of my friends aren't really that deeply interested in the same topics. In addition, there's only a few people I'd be comfortable speaking about my inner self with, but they aren't always in tune with their emotions, nor actively try to be. Is this my way of discussing ideas without a network to do so? Sure there's online forums like Quillette Circle, but the level of connection is just too different. These ideas are as emotional as they are scientific. In fact, I don't even think I'm looking to discuss my ideas, but rather, these ideas are used to form emotional connections. Last week I mentioned how I don't really know what I'm doing anymore, where life is just an endless repeat of eat, work, sleep. Discussing these vulnerabilities isn't about repairing the situation. I personally think it's fucked either way. It's more about connecting with someone who sees as I see. And perhaps I can take less in the fact that I'm not alone, that someone understands me. In the anime, March Comes in Like a Lion, the main protagonist talked to an aspiring baseball player, and they connected when he understood the feeling of not wanting to run away. I once felt the same feeling when my friend mentioned his crushing boredom, where he just opened the same site over and over just to pass the time. At that moment, I felt this deep sense of connection that we understood each other. My emotional connections with those around me is extremely weak. I don't have many ties to the the material world. Although I don't have a bad relationship with my family, it isn't the loving type either. Most of my friends are bound together by board games, but that's about it. Finally, as discussed last week, I no longer have an identity to ground myself. Without that trifecta, My sole connection to the world is through my material belongings, a few board games, books and electronics. But let's be real here, they don't really mean anything. Board games are great to play. They give everyone a shared topic and interest to discuss over the night. The only issue is they don't facilitate deeper connections. For me, only conversations can do that. Take a question like, what's one thing you failed at and you're glad you did? On second thought, I'm not glad that I did fail, but rather, I knew it was a necessity. In retrospect, of course. Failure is the harshest mistress. I don't want to appear like I'm a failure, a loser, where I can't accomplish and win things to others. It's hard on my pride and ego as well. Admitting failure is even more painful. I failed a job interview at the group interview phase. I didn't want to tell anyone that I failed, that I didn't get the job. Instead. I just wrapped myself in my blankets, sitting there absentmindedly and feeling shit about myself. For me, the failing of uni is the thing I'm glad I did. I failed uni hard, as in half my courses were fails. I entered uni straight after school. No gap year, no break, just an 18-year-old heading straight to the front lines. My entire conception of the world was built upon the schooling system. Not only the schooling system... private schooling system. In Australia, there's two types of schools. Public, which is funded by the government, and private, which is funded privately. In my school, even if you submitted your work late, the teachers would constantly chase you up on that. My friend once submitted his essays three months late and was graded a B, which is around 85%. Oh boy, I felt so pissed off after that. University is completely different. Nobody is going to chase you up. Nobody is there to force you to do any work. The support structures are there, but it's on you to go find them. I lived in a coddled schooling system for over 12 years. You don't just live in a system where you're told what to do, constantly chased up, and then succeed in the complete opposite. The people who managed to adapt thrived in uni, but that wasn't me. In addition to the difficulty of switching to the new system, I was also unsure about myself. Wanted to recreate myself without the baggage of school and be someone new. All these unknowns, a new system, my doubts about myself and who I am was too much for me. I interpreted uni through the schooling worldview. It was what I based my entire life upon. People like me don't change that easy. They don't change their minds from hearing other people. Especially the 18 year old boy I was. So, so, as I tried and tried to adapt to uni, Still clinging onto my old ways, I failed more and more. Eventually, everything hit rock bottom. I failed three out of four courses for the semester and received another warning about my poor academic performance from the uni. It was only when I hit rock, the absolute rock bottom that I started to learn from others, to take another, another person's advice and incorporate it into myself. It was only through hitting rock bottom that I discarded pieces of myself that n- didn't work being reborn from the ashes, stronger than ever. This single, or rather accumulative failure, has directly and indirectly resulted in who I am today. It's responsible for all my reading, writing, and ability to think. Aye, this failure hurt. It hurt so much that there was only two paths out for me back then. Either be reborn, like a phoenix from the ashes, stronger than ever, or die. I didn't end up committing suicide, so the failure was a win. That's why I'm glad I failed. It forced me to rebuild my worldview, discarding the propaganda and taking lessons from others that worked. What would have happened if I didn't fail though? How would my life have been altered? To answer this, we must go way back to year 12, the final year of schooling in Australia. During this year, I didn't know what I was doing. I took some classes in Maths, English and IT, something else as well, but I had no clue what I was doing. As the months passed on, I gradually grew more and more demotivated until I didn't even study for their exams. To be expected, the results wasn't pretty. The only thing of remote interest to me was IT, which needed about 80 ATAR. However, with my declining motivation and lethargy, the lack of preparation for the final exams which makes up a bulk of your ATAR score, meant that I received a 65 ATAR. If I needed 80 ATAR and only got 65, obviously I couldn't get into IT. Except, for some odd reason, I ended up researching alternate pathways to get into uni. That pathway was to enrol into arts and then switch into IT. Let's say that I wasn't crippled by my non-existent motivation and got 80 80 ATAR. This would have meant I have never would have taken those art courses as the degree required. The content in the required arts course wasn't really anything mind-blowing. I'd forgotten everything a long time ago. Instead, it was the group work that impacted me the most. For the group assignment, I became the leader and was quite authoritarian. Despite me thinking that I democratically asked everyone what's a suitable timeline to get our work finished, Others felt this wasn't a question. It was a statement. In fact, when one girl didn't finish her work, she she said it, it was like I was bullying her. This authoritarian leadership style meant that I often felt left out of the group, that I wasn't connected with everyone else. After this course, I took a step back from trying to be a leader and took some courses on leadership and management, all because of that one group assignment. That single group work instance made me reflect upon leadership and how to conduct myself. There was one time I had this terrible team. There was about three people including myself and the other two were school friends. They both constantly joked and mucked about during workshops, never actually getting any work done. Then, near the end, one dude just cheated and I fixed up his stolen work so it was a bit more presentable. After this, I told them that I would never group up with them again. This was the impetus that made me assume a group leader position if no one else did, except this time I was less authoritarian and more about learning how to be a leader. Later, I managed a group and got 100%, a total of 5% of the course's grade. When I hit rock bottom and failed three out of four courses, that 5% was the only reason I passed the last course. Honestly, if I also failed that course, I think it would have been over for me. Those series of failures from year 12 till my third year of university all had knock-on effects. The arts courses I took showed me how terrible a leader I was and then I became interested in leadership courses. Because of that, I led my group and got 100%, a result that was the only reason I passed when things hit my lowest point. That single slither of hope was the only reason I held on. It was my one remaining chance in life. It's crazy how such small actions can have such large impacts. In Steve Jobs' Stanford speech, he mentioned how we, o- we live life looking forward, but only can interpret it backwards. The difference between how I viewed my leadership style and the realities led me on a journey to understand leadership, management, and eventually got me interested in human psychology. When I unlocked my interest in human psychology, Or rather, it became clear to me it was a lot more than a simple interest. I started to ask other psychological questions to understand them. If I didn't fail getting into computer science, if I wasn't forced to take that arts course, I wonder what I'd be now. Or rather, would I even be alive now? Going back to dreams again. I had a really weird dream, where my high school went on an excursion, and whilst the plane was in midair, my shoes dropped out... Dropped out of the cabin, and I dived out to grab them. Let's not question how utterly illogical it is to dive out of a plane that's at max height for a pair of shoes. Instead, one thing that stood out was how I was on a school excursion and saw my old classmates again. This hasn't been an isolated incident, and has, and has occurred many times already. Just yesterday, I jumped. I was playing base uh, basketball, and what you know, another high school peer is there. What on earth does this mean? Once I decided that I wasn't going back to my 10-year school reunion, to me, it seemed stupid. Why would I go back there to see people I haven't seen, talked to, and therefore don't care about after so many years? High school was just utter garbage that I was legally compelled to do and didn't know better. I stayed in contact with the people I cared about after school ended. I believe Jung said that dreams can be our subconscious speaking that it's trying to interpret and understand things that our our subconscious doesn't understand or doesn't want to. Initially, I thought seeing my high school peers meant nothing, but after repeatedly seeing them in my dreams, I started to doubt myself. They have appeared far too many times in my dreams to simply mean nothing, so I'll go to this high school reunion. I've got no idea what my subconscious is saying, but if going to this one day will help it move on, then so be it. The second aspect of that dream was jumping out of a plane to get my shoes. It feels like this is a call to an adventure, for me to go out there and live. I remember hearing about what dying people say on their deathbeds, and most of the time it's I regret. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to live out my life only for it to end and say I regret. In the anime, No Game No Life Zero, there was a scene where Android said, We are machines, tools, breath of heart. We have lived here yet never alive. Let us die having lived. That scene still brings tears to my eyes this day. I don't want to merely live. What's the point? To eat, sleep, work, repeat. I don't want to live. I want to be alive. I need to find that adventure to make my life worth living for. I need to give something my all and taste what it means to be alive. Even if the loss is painful. The final thing I'll talk about is a daydream about me being a heroic king and then getting reborn without the shackles of heroism. Starting off, just like any other reincarnated in a new medieval fantasy world genre, I was transported into this world without anything notable. For some reason, a couple in the village adopted me. I was around 8 that time, so I did what other children did. Played around and mucked about. But everything changed when the orcs attacked. My new family had three people, the mother, the father, and their daughter. Naturally, as a young boy who played around and mucked about a lot, a fair amount of my time was played with the daughter, and I ended up liking her. In this orc invasion, nobody was spared. Only their daughter and me managed to escape when our parents hit us. From that day, everything changed. Our entire worlds were recreated overnight. The village had nothing left but the death of our friends and burnt buildings, so we ran on, desperately trying to survive as children without any support left. Our troubles weren't over yet. We had to eat grass to prevent ourselves from starving, hide, and lived in extreme fear of orcs. Eventually, we found another village and settled ourselves there, at least until the orcs destroyed it again. This situation repeated time and time again, every time there was peace... Chaos would come again and destroy everything. Eventually, I took up my sword and united others to fight back against the monster's invasion. Over time, I gained influence and more followers until I became the king. It wasn't all pretty, though. Time and time again, all my friends were killed and eventually, all I had was myself. As a king, it was difficult to find true friends. With my position, it's difficult to know who just wanted to ride on my influence. Eventually a wall was constructed with the assistance of dwarves and elves. Don't question the structure. Just run with it. These things just kept adding on as my daydreams continued. It morphed and changed storylines multiple times already. As the king, the repeated assaults of monsters meant I kept losing more and more men. There was a training program for young boys to learn combat skills. When I saw them, I couldn't help but feel extreme pity. They were being trained to go out and die. All because of my orders. Constant death of friends. The training of young boys just for them to die was too much for me to bear and led to repeated breakdowns. However, as the king, I couldn't show anyone my pain. I kept it in until I was completely alone and cried. Grew mad at myself and the world. As soon as I walked out though, the mask of the king had to be donned. Where I couldn't show my fear, my insecurities or weaknesses. After all, If I, the king, was fearful, then what about all the rank and file soldiers who fought for the peace of their villages and their kids? It was this concept that Kakashi from Naruto mentioned, the fire of Konoha. My daydream borrowed that concept. Whenever motivational speeches were had, it was only about the future generation to ensure they're able to smile and live life without fear. The plot diverged a bit here and there, and it turned out a dragon was the one who killed my parents, twisting me into dedicating my life for revenge. During a large-scale conflict between my kingdom soldiers and the monsters, the dragon came. For some reason, I've developed ice powers and only a few others had similar powers, basically quirks from My Hero Academia. To get revenge of that dragon, each day I pulled my powers into a necklace. This fight between myself and the dragon staked everything on the line. If I failed, the dragon would destroy the wall just like in Game of Thrones. The only reason people were living in peace was because of that wall. Like the Great Wall of China in size and scale, cleanly dividing humans and monsters. So I fought with utmost desperation. I launched everything I had and tried any and every method to kill this dragon. Yet, there was barely any damage done. If I lost, then what was the point of my entire life? To see it all go up in flames once more? Why did I dedicate everything I had to defending the land? It wasn't just about saving people. It wasn't just about ensuring they live in peace and the flames within each unborn child is given a chance, but also about myself. About what I dedicated my life to and ensuring that it wasn't all pointless to make sure it survives and continues. Multiple times I took a beating from the dragon. With my ice powers I could also fly, so with a whack of its tail I went crashing into the ground. Time and time again this happened, and I created new ways of launching myself up with a smile. It was a daring smile, like in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, to spread a flesh wound. Eventually though, I was pummeled into the ground and blacked out. Time and time again I attacked the dragon, only leaving a minor cart on its chest. My powers were quickly running dry, this included the reserves from my necklace. In this blackout, I had a wonderful dream, where I saw my family again, in the village with everyone around, smiling and mucking about again. I was the same eight-year-old and heard them beckon me over. It was warm, pleasing, and as I started to walk towards the light, all my soldiers called out to me, to not give up, to get up and fight. The girl from the original village was also a soldier. She oversaw my personal bodyguards, not because of nepotism, but because of my, her own skills. There was an entire arc where I desperately tried to stop her from joining, but that's a tale for another day. She called out to me, asking me if I wanted everything to repeat again, the village burning, every, everyone we cared about dying. She asked if I wanted the same fate to fall upon the kingdom. Those calls pulled me out of my dream and back into reality. My entire body was aching, without much power left. Just like Captain America in Infinity War, I got up and struggled forward. Taking a line from My Hero Academia, when all hope seems lost, look inside for that final flame. Look for the reason you started to fight. Activating Gate of Death like Guy from Naruto, I launched my final assault on the dragon. As the name implies. Activating Gate of Death would lead to death. Launching forward, up into the air where the dragon was, I took my final strike and managed to cut off the dragon's wing. The dragon, in rage and pain, launched a fireball at me. Powerless to defend, I simply closed my eyes and rested, feeling relieved of my burden. I told myself that you've done enough, it's now time to rest. The fire consumed me and burnt me to ashes. This daydream has been going on for about a year now, so it's grown in scale, sometimes completely getting rid of plotlines or adding new ones. The most obvious reading of this would be heroism. It's basically me saving people, then when all hope is lost, defeating the undefeatable and dying consequently. There's nothing surprising here. There's a good reason why superhero movies are so utterly popular these days. In Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death, He mentioned how we attach ourselves to heroic ideas to transcend death. Because we are born in this world, so suddenly, so randomly, with all our thoughts and feelings, for it all just to come to an end just doesn't make sense. So to fight off death, we try to become immortal. Without a doubt, in that world, saving everyone from a dragon would have made me immortal, a hero whose legend would be passed down forever. Now I'm not going to become a hero in the modern world. That just isn't possible. Instead, what I can do is to make sure my arts, my arts and crafts transcend my mortality. Just like how Henry Ford attached his name to the car company to transcend his death, I can do something similar. A company like SpaceX or Tesla have missions that transcend our finite lifespans. Ambitious goals like making humans an interplanetary species, or accelerating the world into sustainable energy can truly feel like you're making a difference. That even if you die, your legacy will continue. Now, I believe that wholeheartedly. Elon Musk has single-handedly changed the entire world, and those who work for him probably feel the same. For me, those goals don't really align to what I'm interested in, so it's not for me. Instead, I need to find some other goal some other company that has that level of crazy insane missions, so I can make sure my crafts transcend myself. What would this be, though? I have no clue, honestly. I'm having trouble thinking about what I'll do in a year, let alone some super crazy immortality project. This daydream has a final section. After I was burned into ashes, I revived in a completely different land, far, far away from the chaos of monsters. Most of my body has been regenerated. The only issue is I cannot see nor speak. Technically, I can still see using my martial arts skills, where the world is black and white triangles, like in the manga Bloody Monday. my death, I was no longer shackled by the sense of heroism and tried to live out my life. Transported into the slums, with no vision and an inability to speak made life difficult. The beginning of that dream was about trying to connect with others without speaking. Most of the money making and eating details were skipped over and somehow I became a young noble lady's bodyguard. Basically, I just showed them my fighting skills a bit and they hired me. The years of fighting monsters meant my martial arts abilities were no joke. Also, my rebirth limited most of my powers. All I could do was keep myself clean. Very convenient in a medieval world. The most unique part about this Dream was about how I wasn't the star anymore. The story wasn't about me, but rather about the young noble lady and how I helped her. This girl was ballsy, courageous, and did things that others would frown upon. For some reason, she went into the slums to interact with others, with the medieval castle system. This would have been quite strange and very very dangerous, yet she did it anyway. Her main goal was interacting and playing around with others. In another scene, she wanted to learn to fight and I reluctantly taught her hand-to-hand combat, just like Kogami in Psycho Pass. Later, she went to a rough tavern and ate. Then, soon enough someone came and tried to muck her. As her bodyguard, I could have easily stepped in and dealt with him, but I left her to fight to gain experience. When I watched her fight, like a parent, I really wanted to jump in and help her, but I knew I couldn't. Without practice, she'll never grow and learn. Over time, This fighting grew routine and formed a fight club. In another scene, she was bargaining with a merchant for some wares and warned him about the effects of supply and demand when someone won the war. Not obviously though, cheekier, but asking about the war, who controls the current supply and then giving him a knowing smile for him to figure out later. A bit later, she connected him with someone who knew more about the situation and that merchant was extremely grateful for her, incessantly thanking her. This act of connection gave her some favours to cash in later. This train of thought borrows from what Adam Grant mentioned, where connecting people together can be a powerful tool, instead of networking like you're the only important person, where it's all about me, me, me. Similar daydreams have occurred along the way, where I'm a teacher, mentor, or coach, helping newbies to get started. This current daydream stands out a lot more because of her personality, Courageous, brave, going your own way and constantly seeking a new adventure. These are all qualities that I do not possess. With some anticipatory anxiety, I get super nervous before doing anything new and would often quit before even trying. To go against the grain is something that I struggle with as well. Most of my life has been about conforming, to do what's common. Last week, my midlife crisis tells you just how well that worked for me. Yet... To fully change would mean ignoring the crowd. That's quite a daunting proposition, and I don't have that level of daring bravely. Being a coach for younger fellows, where I'm able to give them knowledge that took my entire life to figure out, is another form of meaning in my life. In some daydreams, I become a teacher, started a school, mentored programming for those thinking about joining uni or becoming a programming tutor. They're all about teaching others lessons that I had to learn so bitterly in life constant failures and then rebuilding my entire worldview when it shattered. The concept of future generation comes up a lot. Without any meaning in my life, without any goal or purpose, perhaps I want to help others so they can find their meaning, their purpose, and fill my own void. I'm not sure what I can do about the daring bravely one, to live out my own life as I define it, not as what society expects. That's daunting and requires some serious deliberation. If I were to do that, I'd first need to be more comfortable with being alone. One thing I can try and do is help help others, or at least lend out a helping hand when I feel others need it. First, I'll start with my friends, and then reevaluate how I feel about such a situation. Then I can deal with others. Maybe I'll try volunteering a bit more for things that interest me or seem interesting. That's a safe way to help others. I need to reflect upon my skill sets and how I'm best able to utilize them to achieve this goal. That would conclude my thoughts regarding dreams and daydreams. That was an extremely mentally and emotionally draining activity. You don't just read through one year's worth of your dreams and daydreams without nothing happening. Here's an interesting question for you to ponder. What's a quote or mode of thinking that shaped or changed how you perceive the world? I'll give my answer next week, so think about yours. This podcast isn't just about the language of my soul, but it's also about yours. What's your dreams like? Do you have any daydreams like I do, and what do they mean to you? Are they unfulfilled wishes, or is your subconscious trying to tell you something? With that concluding thought, it's best to end things here. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is the Language of My Soul podcast. If you wish to reach me, contact me at thelanguageofmysoul at protonmail.com. See ya.